Jesus' name, amen. All right, well, I'm going to try and get rid of this. There we go. And you can still hear me? Excellent. All right. Well, this morning, uh, I'm going to... I'm going to speak from Ephesians chapter 4. So if you would turn to Ephesians chapter 4, I'm going to be concentrating on verses 7 through 16. But I thought I would give a little context to 7 through 16 and start in verse 1 of Ephesians chapter 4. And I think that you will see, you'll see some, some amazing things there that really relate to, to this past week here in, in our body and in our city. So Ephesians chapter 4 verse 1. I therefore, a prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore it says, When he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and gave gifts to men. In saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he also descended to the lower regions of the earth? He who descended is the one who ascended far above all the heavens, that he might fill all things. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. That first uh, part of that passage, to me, reminded me of kind of what we've been through this past week, bearing with one another up in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace, and just the opportunities that we have as a church family to support and encourage our our brothers and sisters here in our own body, the Masters family, and others who are, who are struggling with things, but also uh, Abbott Loop and, uh, and just our brothers and sisters there that are, that are really struggling. And so the bond of peace and encouraging one another in love. But in verse, uh, in verse 7, it says, Grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. And we're going to look at the gift to Christ's body to the church, and we're going to try and see a picture of the body of Christ that, uh, that we have here in, in these verses. Verse 8 says, Therefore it says, When he ascended on high, he led a host of captives, and he gave gifts to men. The reality is all of us are captives to sin. 
All of us have sin issues in our lives. We have been delivered from sin. We have been freed from the bondage of sin through Christ. But we all have have sin issues. But one of the captives of sin, one example that I want to share with you that I think helps uh, point out what what Jesus, uh, what what Paul was talking about here and, and what Jesus had done is is Paul himself. He was a captive. He was one who was persecuting the church. He was one who was reaching out, trying to seek and destroy whomever he could. And this captive became his servant through Christ. Saul became Paul. And what a gift that is to the body of Christ, the Apostle Paul. And and so we see these gifts of, of sinners given to the church, these captives that are now saints, these captives that are now servants. Verses 8 through 10 talks about the ascending and descending of Jesus to the earth. It says, He ascended, and what does it mean but that he also descended into the lower regions of the earth. He who descended is the one who also ascended far above the heavens, that he might fill all things. You know, some have said this ascending and descending, when, when the descending of Christ, they think maybe from 1 Peter there's, there's something about uh, him going down into the depths, into Hades, or into to, uh, under the earth, or, or something along that lines. But I don't think that's what he's talking about here when he says, talks about Christ descending. I think it's talking about Christ descending as a baby. The creator of the world becoming the creation. What an amazing, amazing picture that is. If you stop and think about it. We know about it. We've heard about it. Some of us, most of all of our lives, we've heard about this. But when you actually think of the creator of the world becoming the created, the creation... That's an amazing, amazing picture. But I think that's what he's talking about here in the descending, because there's nothing mentioned about hell, there's nothing mentioned about Hades or or burial or anything along that line. So I think he's talking about Christ coming to earth as a baby, as a human, and then his ascension being raised up. As he descended to earth, Philippians 2, uh, if you would turn over just a, a book here, Philippians 2, starting in verse 3, my favorite passage. And if you don't know this passage, uh, I would suggest you not only become familiar with this passage, but memorize this passage. Truly, truly an amazing passage of what Christ has done for us. Starting in verse 3, it says, Do nothing from rivalry or conceit, but in humility. Count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself, became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. The Creator did not consider himself but he considered us. Is it our practice to consider ourselves? Or is it our practice to consider others as more important than ourselves? (laughs) What a great challenge. 
What a great challenge that is. And it also talks about uh, he ascended into heaven here in, in, uh, in verse 10. And he, is, he ascended into heaven in, in Colossians 3.1 and Hebrews 8.1. It talks about that Jesus ascended and is seated at the right hand of God the Father. That is where he's at. And he's interceding for us. Seated at the right hand of God the Father. But when he ascended into heaven, he did something. He sent gifts down to his church, to his body, to his bride. Obviously, the the one gift that he sent, the counselor, the Holy Spirit. um, But he also sent gifts of leaders. And and that's what we're going to look about at today. The body of Christ. What is the body of Christ to look like? What did, what did Jesus want it to look like? So I got a few points in good preacher fashion that I, want to, uh, that I want to point out to you. The first one is Jesus' structure for the church, his bride. What he wants that to look like. The second is a, a means for growth of the church. And the third is what maturity and growth look like. What do they look like? Well, first, the structure, structure for the church. It says that he gave apostles and prophets, okay? In verse 11, and he gave them apostles and prophets. And, and this is uh, an Old Testament and New Testament kind of, kind of combined type of thing. The apostles were the 11 disciples. Uh, Judas was obviously disqualified from being an apostle. He was not an apostle. But he was replaced by Matthias um, in, uh, in the book of Acts. And, and then also Paul was brought in as apostle. Barnabas was also mentioned at times and, and others as an apostle. But an apostle was an eyewitness to Jesus. It was called by, he was called by Jesus. And he was given a specific calling in the church. In the, the whole church, the, the body of Christ. That's what an apostle was. Okay? Prophets were a little different. Prophets, obviously, Old Testament prophets. You're, you're familiar with those, I take it. And, uh, but there were also prophets and prophetesses in the, uh, in the, the New Testament. And uh, these were specially commissioned men and women. And they seemed to, be, to have an assignment to a particular body, a particular group. A particular spot. The apostles were, were travelers. They, they went around regions and they, and they encouraged churches in a broader, broader spectrum. They were over more of the, uh, the whole church. But, but the prophets were, uh, were ones that were given a particular, particular body to, to minister to. Okay? Now some say that these, uh, these positions, these offices of, of uh, apostles and, and prophets are still in today's church. And there are churches that that name people or ordain people or whatever, um, apostles and, and prophets and, and things like that. But I don't, I don't think that's, that's really what the Bible teaches us to do. I think as we look in Scripture, we see very specific biblical, biblical qualifications for apostles and prophets that are not, that are not really uh, looked at or not taken seriously um, by some of these, these churches. And so, I don't think these offices are, are for today's church. However, it says Christ gave to the church. And so, he did give to the church offices for leadership. 
He gave, uh, it says in, uh, in verse 11, he gave the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers. And uh, the shepherds and teachers is kind, of a, is kind of a combo office here, and we'll talk about that in a second. But, but uh, it's really two offices, uh, one the evangelist, and the evangelist typically is one that shares with the non-believers, is, is going out and seeking and, and uh, sharing with those who, who do not have a faith, who are not of Christ. And so they go out and they share and they, and they teach and, and preach and share the, the good news, the gospel with, with unbelievers. And then the, the uh, shepherd and teacher, um, poimenos is, uh, is the Greek word there. I'm a lousy Greek student, but uh, I, I remember a few things. And poimenos there is, is a term that's used, and, it's, um, and I won't go into this much this morning, but it's, it's kind of, there's kind of interchangeable terms that are used. And, and, but basically, it's the, the pastor, the elder, the overseer of the church, the shepherd. Uh, is, is what that is. And that is someone that uh, is an overseer, but also is a teacher and shares the word and brings, brings the word. And so that is, uh, that is the office there that is, that is given. Now there's, there's some overlap. It's not like pastors and, and uh, you know, elders they, and, and shepherds, they, don't, they don't, you know, don't ever speak to the lost, or they don't ever speak to those that are non-believers. And it's not like evangelists never, never preach to believers. Oh, you're a believer? Sorry, I can't share with you. Now that's, you know, there's obviously overlap there. But those, are, but those are a couple of distinctions of church leadership that are represented here in this passage. Okay? And these positions replaced... The apostles and the prophets. But as I was looking at this, I, you know, I grew up in a pastor's home, and, and uh, my wife grew up in a pastor's home, and my children have grown up in a pastor's home, and so there's not a lot of hope for them, if you know what I'm saying. But uh, you know, so so I'm quite familiar with with pastors, and I've seen pastors, including myself, that aren't exactly how do you say it on your game, you know. Uh, we, uh, we have times when we struggle. And so I've seen that. And so I'm not in any means putting pastors or lay elders or, or church people, you know, up in anything. I've, I've lived with them and, and uh, you know. But as I read this and as I saw that Jesus had given the evangelists, the shepherds, the teachers, the pastors, the elders, given those to the church, I wondered, do we consider our church leaders as a gift to us from God? Do we consider them as God's provision for our body? Do we see that? Not that, you know, they always make fantastic decisions. Not that there's, you know, they don't have struggles. That's not what I'm saying. But do we see them as, as a gift and as a provision? Because they are. They are a gift to the body of Christ. That's what Jesus has done. Well, let's look at the means of growth for the church. It says that the church leaders are to equip the saints for ministry. In verse 12, to equip the saints for ministry for the building up of the body of Christ. This is what the, uh, the leaders are to do. They are to equip the saints for ministry. They are to, they are to teach. They are to uh, train they are to equip the saints for ministry, the work of the ministry. 
Verse 13 says, uh, For the building up and the leading of the church in the unity of faith and the knowledge of Jesus. And that is the goal. That is what the church leaderships do there, to, to lead them along for a unity of faith, for a building up, for, for the knowledge of Christ and who Christ is. They are to lead the church in the maturity of Christ. Listen to this one. Uh, it says in verse 13, the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we may no longer be children. So the, the, the job of the church leadership is to help equip the saints to maturity in their faith, to grow them up, to increase them into spiritual maturity. And so that's what the church leaders are to do. Members of the church body are also to be about building one another up in the body. The end of this passage, verse 16 says, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. So the church members, all of us here as members of a body, are to build each other up, are to encourage, are to support each other. That's what we're to be about, building one another up. There is not a position in the church to be a fan of the church. A fan is one who cheers, yeah, you go, you rock, you're doing well, sweet, yeah, can I have your autograph? You know, stuff like that. I mean, that's the, that is not, there's no position in the church for that. It, it is not provided. We are to be an active participant in this body life. You know, we live in a consumer society. There is not to be a consumer mindset in the church. It's not It's not there. We are to be an active participant in the body. Consumership is not a biblical principle. You're called to be a contributing member of the body of Christ. You're called to enter in, to be a part, to be active in the body of Christ. Well, it goes on and it talks a little bit about maturity and growth. You know, in 2003... I was involved in a seminary program, and it was a distance program where I had to be on campus a few times a year in Minnesota, and, uh, and so one year I had the, uh, the harebrained idea that I wanted to bring my family with me, and so we are going to do the road trip, the Alcan. You've been on the Alcan? If you haven't, you need to. Not that it's going to be wonderful necessarily, but it's an experience I think everyone should, should have. So we went on the Alcan. We, uh, we loaded the entire circus into our Suburban with a rocket box. You know what that is on the top, you know, with skis and stuff like that. Poured some of our stuff in there. Everyone had their little bag. And so we uh, loaded up the Suburban, and we're headed down the road to Minnesota. 8,500 miles when it was all said and done. Yee-hoo! And, uh, and if you talk to our kids, it was, it was a huge thing for our family. It was, it was so exciting. There were, we had it down. So that when we would come, we camped most nights. We spent sometimes in hotels. We camped most nights. And so we had it down that when the Suburban stopped, the little kids would, would start getting ready for bed. They'd get their pajamas on, and Lana's helping them with that and that sort of thing. And the big boys and myself set up tents, threw out the air mattresses, blew the air mattresses up, laid the sleeping bags out. And so we had it so when we parked, we could be in our sleeping bags ready to sleep in 20 minutes. We had it down. Boom, boom. It was rocking. It was, it was good. Everyone knew what they, were, what they were doing. I don't know what happened, but life isn't the same. 
doesn't seem like we're that, uh, never mind. Anyway, so we had it down, and it was, it was a great trip. Well, on, on one of our days down there, we said, we're going to go a long time. We're going to go 16, 17 hours a day. We're going to drive a long time. It's going to be really hard. It's going to be difficult. You're going to be, uh, they, didn't, they actually didn't whine and moan too much on the trip. But, it, you know, it's going to be hard. But the reason we're doing that is because we want to get in the next day to Edmonton. Because the mall is there in Edmonton. Yes! It has nothing to do with shopping. We are not shopping at this mall. We made that perfectly clear. We are not shopping. But also in the mall at Edmonton, there is an indoor water park. And it is amazing. It is wonderful. They have, it is just this massive expanse. And they have a zip line where you can walk into the mall, you can walk across this catwalk, and you can do a zip line out to the middle and out back. It's, it's very fun. Not that we did it, but uh, you can. And then they have about 13 to 15 indoor slides that come. Some of them are easy, you know, just relaxing, you know, water slides that, that you just go down. Some are in tubes and things like that. And then some are just, they, uh, they get your attention. They get the heart rate going, if you know what I'm saying. I brought uh, our son Hans, who was about uh, six at the time. I brought him on the first one. We had just got there, and we are climbing up the, you know, the ladders and the platforms to get way up there. And cannonball run. Oh, that sounds good. Sounds great. What do you think, Hans? Sure. You know, he, he's game for anything. And so I uh, go, I will ride with you. I'll have you right here, and we'll go down together. Well, we uh, got to the front of the line, and they said, oh, no, you have to go by yourself on this one. You can't go. On your... I'm like, what? It's like, yeah, well, because about 15 feet above this pool of water that you land in is the end of the chute. You come, and you come like a cannonball. You fly down into this pool of water. I'm like, Oh, so you can't do that with someone. Like, okay, we'll do it. So, I, you know, I'm thinking, I mean, please, how, you know, it can't be that big a deal. Well, I enjoyed it. But as I am plummeting down in this, uh, coming out of the chute and plummeting down in this pool of water, I'm coming up going, oh, Hans is going to die on this thing. <laughs> and so, I, so I, I, you know, swam over to the side and I told the lifeguard, I said, you know what, uh, my little son's coming next and, and he's going to need some help. Can I stay in here? They said, no, get out. And, you know, uh, panic mode on the, I didn't mean to, you know, upset him that much. I'm thinking, he'll, he'll be fine, probably. Uh, you know, but uh, so, so get out of the pool, you know, so it's, so it's half, you know, half rescue squadron and half, you know, Baywatch thing or whatever. I don't know. They got this big thing in there and just, you know, focused and ready to go. And sure enough, he comes down, he goes under and he's gone and he's, he's down and he's down and he, bobbles up to the top and uh you know his eyes are just massive they're just huge and so they throw that you know that rescue uh saver thing out to him and pull him in anyway he was fine and i said uh dad i don't want to go on that one again and i said you know i said son you know it was a rough one to start out with i'm sorry it was bad judgment we'll do better let's go so we went on the lazy ones for a while and i think we i actually I can talk him into a lot of things. I think I actually convinced him to do it a little later in the day, just so, you know, the fear wouldn't be in his mind. But, but uh, all of that is a big setup to the real story. There was a young lad we had on this trip named Tobin, who was uh, about three years old at the time. He had his fourth birthday later in the trip. They had a wave pool. It was a massive wave pool. And it was, you know, it was calm. And it was just kind of nice and just warm water. So he would wade out there, you know, his waist or up to his chest. And he'd splash around. He'd go under and he'd have fun, you know. And he was just having a good time. 
But then, in true Canadian fashion, they would have a signal that the waves were coming. And I, you know, I, I don't know other than Canada, but it was a foghorn like you score a hockey goal. You ever hear that? You know, so I'm thinking, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a hockey thing. I don't know. But anyway, so they had this huge foghorn that would go off, and that signaled that the waves were coming. And uh, Tobin had been uh, tumbled over a few times in the waves and gone under, and he did not, not like that. And so we convinced him, see, the water's calm. And so he would go in the water, and he would just stay in there, play around, you know, up to his, his chest, whatever. And then when the foghorn would come, he would just look at Lana, and he'd just run to us screaming, just get me out of here. And sure enough, the waves would come. But he knew to get out of the water. Because he's just going to get rolled over. And he had no power to stand against these waves. They would do whatever they wanted to with him and wash him up wherever they wanted to put him. And so, uh, so the foghorn was the signal. And, uh, and he knew what that meant. I thought of that because of this next verse in 14. It says, So that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. You know, and, and really, that's, that's what it is. The young in faith, those who are not mature in their walk, those who aren't exactly sure, I, I, I kind of know I believe this, but I'm not actually sure why I believe this. You know, why do I believe Jesus is God? I'm not exactly sure, but I know that he is because I heard about it. Those that are young in their faith can get tossed to and fro by many different doctrines, can be, can be pushed around. We, we need to know what we believe. We need to know God's Word. We need to know why we believe in God's Word and what it is we believe. Otherwise, we can get taken advantage of by, by cunning schemes, by, by doctrines that are, that are tossed around. We need to recognize when something is not God. It is not of God, and I need to flee. We need to know that. We need to recognize that. Just as Tobin got rocked by the waves, we can get rocked by stuff if we don't recognize this. So maybe when we hear something, we need, that needs to be that foghorn in our mind going, uh-oh, uh-oh, whoa, 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 something's not, something's not right here. This, no, I'm going, and we're, and we're going away. Know what you believe. Recognize that. And so, as it talks about the winds of teaching, okay, the wind of doctrine, human cunning, craftiness, and deceitful schemes, the question I have is, is what winds of teaching are you being tossed about by? Are you having doubts in your minds about? Are you being challenged with? You know, the early church had, uh, had several of these. Um, and... I just listed out four of them. Uh, one, the Judaizers. Um, and Judaizers are those still involved in Judaism um, that you know, claim to have a faith in Christ or whatever. And, and so, but they would, they would challenge with, with circumcision, and you had to be circumcised in order to be a believer in the Lord, follower of Jesus, the dietary restraints. You guys, you guys understand this, I think. And so Judaizers were there. There's a syncristic... Uh, Nature, where they were involved in syncretism, and that would be those that kind of mixed Christianity with kind of folk cultures or traditions, and they would kind of mix those things in so that it was kind of this mess of, of stuff that wasn't really, wasn't really clear, and it, and it definitely wasn't biblical. It wasn't what, what the Lord had in mind, what Christ had in mind. 
Docetism was another, uh, was another challenge in that day. And that was that uh, Jesus did not have a physical body. He didn't have, it wasn't physical. It was, it was a spirit type of thing. And thus he didn't really die on the cross. And that was kind of one of these, one of these uh, heresies that was, was being tossed around there. The, the Church of Colossae had a, had a real challenge with that. And you can read, uh, read into that in, in Colossians. And then the last one uh, I'll mention is Gnosticism. And uh, comes from Greek word uh, gnosis, uh, which, which knowledge. And uh, there was a secret special knowledge thing that they had that not everybody had. Um, and uh, it was, they had also some of the, the physical is bad, the spiritual is, is good type of thing. And, uh, and so it was, it was a thing that affected the church uh, for a long time. It really challenged the church, this, this uh, heretical teaching, uh, for, for uh, first and second centuries was, was, was around in those days. Um, and in 1 Timothy 6.20 and, and the Revelation churches, it talks a little bit about these, uh, this Gnosticism that was going on. And so they've had challenges. We've had challenges to the word uh, as long as, as Christ has been around. There's been challenges. There's been heresies. There's been teaching. We need to know God's word. We need to know what it says. We need to know what we believe and why we believe it. Or you will be taken, taken you will be fooled. You'll be led astray. Verse 15 talks about speaking the truth in love. Rather, speak the truth in love. We are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ. Speaking the truth in love. Now, some of us are pretty good at speaking in love. You know, oh, you're wonderful, you look amazing, you're the most gorgeous person on the earth, whatever, you know. And it's all good, no worries. Quite frankly, it is very rarely all good, okay? It really, I mean, really, it's not always all good. But yet that phrase is commonly tossed around. But if we only speak in love, I mean, then you start saying, yeah, yeah, thank you. You don't believe the person anymore because they always say that. You know, they always flatter you. So speaking in love is is one thing. Neither do we want to only speak in truth. That gets you into trouble, too. You don't want to hang out with a person that only speaks truth, do you? All they do is get you with the truth. Well, you know, you really look incredibly unattractive today. You know, we don't want that sort of stuff. So it's a combination of speaking the truth in love. That's where we need to be. That's, that's what Scripture tells us. That's how we are to live as a body. Speaking the truth in love. Not too much love. Not too much truth. Speaking the truth in love. And so we are to treat each other that way. It says we are to imitate Jesus, grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ. We are to imitate Jesus. We are to grow in his likeness. When people see you, do they see Jesus? Are they drawn to God by having a relationship with you? That's really what we're called to be. That is how we are called to live. When we live in this way, when we follow this blueprint, personally but as a body, verse 16 tells us what the result is. It says, From whom the whole body joined together, held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. 
And so that is the way a church grows. It grows together by, by having this relationship with each other, by having this affection for one another. It leads uh, to love for each other. That's, that's the way it's at. And you know, that really is what the world is looking for. It's not looking for a place uh, where it's just all love, where it's all good. You come here, join us. It's all good. It's wonderful. You have a great time. You'll not have any problems. No, it's not looking for that sale because that's not reality. And they don't believe you. It's not looking for that, but it's looking for a place where people are real, where they really genuinely care about each other and want to share life with each other. There is genuine love there. They care about each other, and they care about meeting each other's needs. They care enough about each other to invest in the lives of other people, of those people that that they share this body with. A body where they are committed to each other when times are tough, as also when times are sweet. That is what the body of Christ is supposed to be. And that really is what the world is looking for. Well, let me wrap up with a few few points, a few questions, a few challenges for yourself and for mine. First one is this. What kind of body are we, Anchorage Grace Church? What do people see of our church when they come here? Are we a place that genuinely loves each other, genuinely enjoys spending time and investing in each other's lives? Is that genuine or is it not? What kind of place are we? Second question, where do you fit in? Are you a member? Are you a person that is here, that is growing in your maturity, in your spiritual walk, that is investing, that is spending time, that is that is investing in relationships with people or are you just uh, are you just a consumer that is here maybe Sunday morning maybe it's easy to come Sunday morning then I'm gone I'm not really gonna invest all that much I don't really have that where are you at scripture tells us that we are to be we are to engage in this body that's what we're to be about that's what it calls us to and so I would would call you and myself to engage in this body, to be here, not to be a consumer. That's just, I get, I get a few things and then I'm gone. But to be an active participant, an active member of this body. Thirdly, are you a child that gets confused by different doctrines? Do, do you know what the Bible says? Do you know why you believe what you believe? Or are you kind of foggy on some things and you're not exactly sure? We will always be growing. We will always be hopefully, uh, increasing our, our faith and our knowledge of what, of what God's Word says. But are you one that is on that path that is growing, or are you one that's just, yeah, I know what I believe, I know what I said, I said a prayer, I'm good to go, I, you know, and I'm content. I mean, that, I think, is, is one that is primed for, for waves of teaching that are contrary to Scripture to come in to toss us about. And when those happen, and, and I've seen people that, that I thought were solid in the Lord, and all of a sudden, they get swept into this thing, and they're, what happened to them? 
How could they believe? How could they go that way? Let us not be caught in that way. Let us continue to be pursuing the Lord. And, and with that comes my last, is, my last point is get involved. Get in, involved in a disciple-making opportunity. In something, a disciple is just a follower of Jesus, someone who walks with him. Get involved in a disciple-making opportunity, a Bible study, a, a care group, a small group, Sunday school class on Sunday morning. Get involved in one of those things so that you can grow in your faith so that you can learn to love people, so that you can have genuine relationships with people and share this time together and grow together. That's what it's about. That's how, that's how Christ designed it to be. And so if we're not doing that, if we're lacking in that way, then we need to see, man, this is maybe why I'm lacking a little bit. Be involved. Be a participating member. Well, we're going to uh, share in a little time of communion. Time of the Lord's Supper. And so as the men come forward, I would like...